SoFi, the all-in-one super app for banking, borrowing, and investing. Earn industry-leading APY, get great loan rates, and trade stocks. SoFi, get your money right. Banking products and loans offered by SoFi Bank N.A., NMLS 696891. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. That's it. You can tell I'm not by a pool, nor is Dan, nor is EY from SoFi. This time yesterday, our asses were plopped in a chair by a pool with some real sketch things going on. But that's neither here nor there. Elizabeth is trying to hold back her laughter. This is the last day of January. Letter F. We're going into G, which is February. Market call, 1 o'clock on the East Coast. Welcome back, Elizabeth. Welcome back, Dan. What's up? Liz, you did some heavy lifting for us this week. Did I? Yeah, you were down uh, with us at the iConnections. You were interviewing Mike Wilson. I didn't get to. I didn't get to listen to that. No, we competed. And David, with you. we were competing, okay. and I heard you had a big crowd. It was a decent crowd. We had yeah. a big crowd for ours, which just shows you, guy, how big. And you said this on a couple of occasions. This was a massive event. There were 4,300 people there. They are fund allocators from all over the world that are deploying capital into fund managers, right? And the whole point of iConnections is to get those people together, not just at that event, but obviously all year long. We have the benefit guy. We've been able to talk to what dozens over the last couple of years of iConnections customers that have come on the On The Tape podcast with us. And that, what's going on there? Um, So that's been a really fun partnership. We're changing camera shots that's a is that what we're doing for that yeah yeah who did that was that jacob was that was that our main man bill yeah they got your good side every side your good side but that was great so thank you liz for being down there with us it was a blast it was great yeah i got to moderate mike wilson and david zervos it was a lovely panel we're gonna put that on the feed on the risk oh yeah yeah that's gonna go out yeah thank you guy are you a little delirious i was on a plane at 6 a.m this morning that means i had a four o'clock wake up you had a little later wake up is that just you you just a little bit older than me you just that's a big part of it no i listen i i said i'd be on the earlier flight but we couldn't get on but here's what i'll say number one delirious obviously a great eddie murphy um sort of remember when he in his comedic days him on stage yeah that was the thing the follow-up to raw or some whatever number one number two to your point um yes i was on the plane this morning but as you would probably as you know staring straight ahead the entire time people looking at me like i'm <laughs> so literally out of my mind no you, you know don't. and and i know we got to talk about the market but there are always these jackasses that for whatever reason feel the need to sort of stand up and oh, sort yeah. of stretch like sit your asses down anyway that's neither here nor there let's take a look at today's rundown because there's a lot to go over so as they used to say slide it earl Yes, lackluster tech reports. We talked about it last night on Fast Money. It's not that, listen, again, it's not that these reports weren't good. It's just the expectations into them and everything that's been priced in, right? It's all about what the market is priced in. The market is a discounting mechanism, so we'll see. Another regional bank blow up. For whatever reason, people are not making a big deal out of this. Maybe it's just specific to these guys, but I will tell you there's something more here, I think. Obviously, you got this Fed presser, which I don't think is going to be a huge deal. And then we'll do a little Q&A in the OT, although truth be told, 
I might have to ski daddle a little early because I got to hightail my ass into New York City for CNBC's Fast Money. Over to you. Yeah, that being said, guy, um, we, we're going to be out. Let's call it. We're going to do OT for 15 minutes. Can you do that I from 1:30 to 1:45? Because Liz needs to find her way down to the New York Stock Exchange. She's going to be with Scott Wapner on mm. the um, closing bell. On the closing bell. Well, she's Dunlop. not going to be with the SDs Dunlop on the TRB. H on the right. The well, listen. I, actually, I'm going to tell you this. I actually think that Fed Day that that with Jeffrey Gunlock you and Joe I think it's one of the best shows I mean that um uh that that CNBC ever does because I just I I love it I love Josh I love Jeffrey Gunlock and I obviously love you um uh breaking it all down with yeah. with Scott All right let's get into this we got a lot to go through um let's start with the tech stuff um because guy you and I were on with Mel last night um breaking it all down as it was coming out um I you know I was really surprised that um Microsoft wasn't down more not that it wasn't a great quarter okay not that it was just where the stock was you know mm -hmm. you and I were talking about it with Jim Chanos yesterday on market call a little bit um you know like, look at that man wow. and so look at that breakout look at that uptrend look at where the 200 day moving average Bridges. Look what the implied move was. Look what they put up. Look at the stock's valuation. This stock should be, you know, it should be well below 400, in my opinion, guy. Give it, give me your two cents on yeah, what it you should, it should, them or what you it think. should trade down to that uptrend line, which probably comes in off time decay around 380 or thereabouts. I mean, again, you just hit the nail on the head. We talked about it again last night. It's not about necessarily the quarter. You know, it's just it just I think the guidance was disappointing. If I'm being 100 percent honest, I expected more. So I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I'm surprised if you had asked me last night based on where it traded and then based subsequently on what we heard from some of the other big tech names, I would have said it'd be a lot lower than it is. But there's still time. I mean, and if you look at this bit of a formation, you have this engulfing pattern at an all time high. Yeah. And we'll see how that plays itself out. If it continues to sort of fall away, then technicians will talk about exactly that. Sort of an engulfing pattern for the week, made a new all-time high, reverse lower, we'll see. But the trend line is right. The level is 380. The subsequent level comes in the form of the moving average, which I think comes in around one, excuse me, 342, 343. Yeah. And then we'll have a conversation. But it's not an indictment of Microsoft at all. It's an indictment of their valuation, which is now probably approaching. I don't know, 31 and a half times next year's numbers. Yeah, Liz, are we spending too much time and energy just kind of like on this print, on this guidance, on this valuation level, on this one stock that has actually taken overtaken Apple in market cap terms, you know, so it's the largest market cap company in the world, which is pretty remarkable. Mm -hmm. um, like, talk to us a little bit from where you sit, uh, the strategy seat, and you look at guys like Guy and me, and we're on a show called Fast Money and this and that, whatever. Are we just putting too much emphasis on like one or two stocks and what they mean for the broad market? No, because the market is putting the same emphasis on them. But I think in terms of an indictment, isn't it more of an indictment on the whole market and that everybody's willing to keep buying, buying, buying yeah. at these levels? However, I will say it's not absent fundamentals, right? If you look at, and I, you guys quoted this, I think on your pod yesterday or on market call yesterday, mm -hmm. The fundamentals, and we're in the midst of earnings season, when you look at the contribution of some of these stocks to the overall S&P earnings picture, it's huge mm -hmm. compared to the rest of them. So if you're looking for a reason to buy them, 
you do sort of have it in the form of earnings expectations compared to relative to every other Mm -hmm. average stock, so to speak. So you can explain it away by saying, well, of course, I'm going to pay more for forward earnings because the forward earnings in all of these stocks are much more attractive than anything else I can find. So it's going to be okay. And the Fed's going to cut rates, which is going to make the pressure on these even less. So again, going to be fine. I think it's just, it's an indictment of the overall market to be turning a blind eye to some of that even just the charting, right? You can look at that chart. You don't even have to put the name on that chart yeah. and you could look at it. It doesn't matter what the asset is. You could say, ah, that looks a little toppy. That looks yeah. like a pretty quick rise. Maybe we need to give some back before I'd want to enter, but that's not what's happening. Yeah. And so here's one guy, um, you know, and this is one I don't think either one of us were surprised about last night that it was trading immediately down, you know, four or 5%, which was the alphabet, the Google. Mm-hmm. Let's pull up one year. The one year looks almost the same as the Microsoft. Not really, but like this thing broke out just recently. Now it's interesting that it's pulled back to that um, breakout level, that uh, uptrend it's going to be at very quickly, similar to that 200 day move average in Microsoft, well below the uptrend that's been in place. Why are we playing, placing so much emphasis on the technicals? Well, a lot of us look at them, right? And and, and a lot of folks are kind of um, arriving at certain valuation levels that us line up with different technical levels. This is the one though, guy, this is right in your wheelhouse, the five-year chart. Talk mm-hmm. to me about that, baby. Look at that. That that. What do you call that? What is that? Well, thing? I mean, you know, I think the armchair technicians out there, yeah. of which I consider myself one, I mean, that's pretty textbook in terms of, you know, potential for double tops and just sort of a bit of an explainer the longer the duration the more powerful these things becomes for example if the prior high was made a week ago obviously that's not a big deal if it was a month two months but we're now talking three ish years three years ago ish Mm -hmm. that we last made these highs and here we are again seemingly have failed at the same level i think that's important i think that's something that people will talk about and you can look at the move in, in google i mean from an all-time high, you obviously had that cascade move down to, I want to say, the low 80s, only then double again to that prior high and seemingly have failed. So technically, I think you have to be a bit concerned here. By the way, if you go back to that prior chart, because I think this is important, and this is something we talked about last night, last quarter in October, you saw the same damn thing happen. You saw a stock that was gapping higher, moving higher only to report earnings, gap lower, traded down, held a bit, well, in this case, created a bit of an uptrend line. And now you saw the same thing happen now. You know, it's it's interesting to me that Google, and I got to tell you something, I didn't think it was a disaster of a quarter. I mean, quite frankly, I, if, if you asked me about the price action, I would have flipped Microsoft and Google around. Obviously, mm-hmm. the market's looking at it differently. This is big support. Let's see how it trades. It's trading big volume today. I think it needs to hold. But again, it speaks to all the things we've been talking about. I mean, technicals do matter. And by the way, at a certain point, even evaluation of a Google sort of matters. Yeah. And, you know, Guy, you just used that term gap a couple of times here. If you look at gap EPS estimates, um, you know, expected to be 16% in 2024, 15% next year, trading at about 21 times this year, 18 and a half times uh, next. Um, You know, revenue growth expected to be low teens, 13% this year, 12%. Here's the one thing um, that I think is 
interesting why this stock is down this way and Microsoft is not, is that the margins that the, the hit, okay, so this company is talking about they've been obviously cutting costs, they've been reducing headcount, um, but the spend, right, that they have, okay, to get the sort of growth that uh, investors are willing to pay above a market multiple for, they're spending a lot on these GPOs to train these large language models, right? This is going to be a big part of the story. So, Liz, when you think about gross margins, though, um, you know, 62% down from, you know, 67 and a a couple of years ago, that's the story right here. And unless they can actually demonstrate that all of this spend in this gen AI space mm -hmm. is going to reduce in higher margins, which means higher earnings growth, you know, like, I guess if you're an investor, maybe you just wait and see what happens before you dive in right here. Yeah, well, I think that's fair. You do wait and see what happens. I mean, I, I think if you hold the stock, though, I, I don't know what the right answer is, yeah. right? If you hold the one that's going to be spending a lot. Here's the problem that I always have with comparing an earnings trajectory or just earnings numbers, which are usually on a forward 12-month basis. Obviously, we break it down by quarter mm -hmm. with the realization of a theme, right? Because themes are not going to operate on the same timeline. You've got an AI theme, which I absolutely believe in, and I do think it's going to change the course of technology. Not every company is going to be the winner. And that AI theme is going to take years to play out. My rule of thumb usually for a theme is two to five years. Mm -hmm. If we're talking about earnings over the next three quarters or four quarters, you're probably not going to see it play out or get that satisfaction that you want from their spend in the next three or four quarters. So you might be waiting a long time. And I think just investors today in general, one of the things that's changed in this cycle is that nobody has any patience. Yeah, we do. So I don't know that they're going to wait long enough for some of these companies to prove it to prove that the spend is going far. Well, they're waiting in Microsoft. The guy, she just said it. She can't get no satisfaction. And again, that is not, and, and your Spotify playlist song, of what, 878 songs? Like, th that's not on there. No, I will tell listen, not that anybody cares, and I'm, I am care. a little bit delirious, but I like satis, I think satisfaction, the redundancy of that song is remarkable to me. So no, it does not find yeah. its way onto my playlist and I probably have 35 stone songs. It's not, that's you not one of them, that. nor is um, start me up, which might no. be the mm. shittiest song all right, but of that, all time. That's you brought, bring listen, me, you brought it up. Not start me. me so up. Amanda, if Re you're mad, don't get mad at me. Sorry. Amanda's on a plane right now. It's oh, Jacob. Right, well, is Jacob, this. don't be oh, mad at me. All right. No, so guys, so this start me up. Okay. Windows 95. That was the, the, the theme song for that. Okay. Let's go back to Microsoft and to your point about patience, investor uh -huh. patience for these secular shifts. You know, Microsoft mid teens expected earnings growth. Okay. Trading at 31 times. So let me ask you this guy, would you have more patience because Microsoft has gained a trillion dollars in market cap. Okay. With all the excitement in and around their ability to kind of, you know, increase sales through their open AI partnership as they weave a lot of these um, this technology into uh, Microsoft 365 and the like. And then would you be more patient, though, with an alphabet that has not demonstrated their ability to integrate these products and then get increased earnings and increased margins, um, but it's trading much cheaper. So mid-teens or low-teens low expected growth, okay, on the revenue side and no margin improvement really built in right now. Are you going to be more patient with alphabet than microsoft then we'll move on to Andrew. all right so i like that question I'm, I'm i'm going to answer that question but i will say and i know we all sort of i think intuitively understand this as similar i guess in the in terms of importance these companies are i think the google story could potentially hinge on what i think is going on in the economy and you think about you know the their ad supported side of the business right and you think mm -hmm. about 
the number of businesses, the small and mid-sized businesses that contribute to that. And if what I think is going on is in fact going on, Google gets hurt in that environment. So as much as I'd like to wait on Google and sort of embrace it on valuation, you can make an argument that amongst a number of stocks, Google could be telling you a very interesting story as to what's going on with the economy at a very granular level. So I don't know if that answers your question necessarily, but that's the way I look at this. So I think you're more willing to wait on Microsoft because they're obviously in this secular shift and all those things, the importance of it. But I think the most, I think the tell comes in the form of Google and its price action. Yeah. And so then if we think about this over the last, let's call it year, year in a quarter or so, Liz, I mean, obviously the, the, the clearest beneficiary of the excitement in and around AI has been NVIDIA. And then, mm-hmm. then uh, these other semis that have exposure to these high-end GPUs, these graphic chips that go into training these models, that go into the servers, that go into the data centers. This is why a lot of these companies, if Google is getting hit today, it's because of that margin, because of that increased spend that it's going to take and they don't know when you're going to realize the benefit of that. So look at an AMD guy. When we were talking about this last night, mm-hmm. I think it was like 160 or so. Here it is, is like 168 and a half. So Liz, semis has been a story that you like the secular shift. Now, as we've gotten into more competition for an NVIDIA, AMD joined the party in a big way. It nearly doubled in the last four months or so. Intel had a big move, but it gave back after their guidance, after a lot of investors said they are not going to be a player in the GPU space as it relates to this. AMD, though, you would think given the guidance that they gave, that stock should be down more, but they bought and they bought it. So what do you think of semis, Liz, right here is the best, is all the good news in them. You know, with NVIDIA up 26% on the year. You know, AMD has had this move. Intel's fallen by the wayside, but there's been some other decent stories. Well, the news, the good news is probably in them. I don't know that we're going to get more news in the next month or two. Right. We already had Taiwan right. Stemi. Right? The news is in. Yeah. The, the idea of a Fed cut is probably in, but I think that there's there's still sensitivity in particularly this space mm-hmm. to movement in rates, whatever Jay Powell says today, whatever might happen in March. So I don't know that that entire move is priced in. Now, if they become more dovish, I think semis initially rally on that. I don't know how we get more dovish than, than people expect already. Mm-hmm. But if for some reason we do, it's possible that you see a further rally in semis, but that's not necessarily new news for the industry group. That's just macro. Yeah. And Guy, so so AMD, I, I suspect, and we haven't talked about it yet today, you are surprised at yeah. the relative strength at this point in the day. 100%. You just said it. It was, I think it was down to 160. When we walked off set last night, I think the mm-hmm. stock was around 162, which made a lot of sense to me. Again, if you looked at the revenue guide for them, it was in a word disappointing. I mean, if they're in the secular shift and all the things that are sort of coming up roses for them, that guide should have been a lot more robust than it was, I thought. And I thought the stock would be under considerable pressure. And quite frankly, it's not. So that, I guess, is a bit of a tell. But you know what? You got to give this thing a couple of days because we've, we've seen some weird price action in the weeks after earnings with AMD a number of times now. But going back to the SMH real quick of Jacob yep. to pull up a longer term chart. I mean, we clearly broke out if you want to look at it. You know, we traded up to. So you go back to November of 2021. The SMH made an all time high. want to say around 156. We did it again in July of last year. We traded off and then the breakout basically came in November. With everything else. I mean, we all know this. So I think there's a very good chance, you know, this SMH 
retraces back down to the 156 level. I don't know what it's going to be on the back of. Maybe it's a disappointing NVIDIA, which really has to deliver. Or maybe it's just a number of these stocks just sort of slowly giving it up a bit. But, you know, I think 156, if you're looking for a level in the SMH, has a bullseye all over it, Dan. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm i glad you went there, guys. So you can just visualize that uptrend. You see that 200-day moving average. I mean, to me, I'd be playing in the SMH for a move back towards it. Maybe that kind of 100-day guy, we don't have the 100-day moving average in there. That's kind of that breakout level at that kind of, you know, 165 level. So somewhere between like 170 and 165. If AMD sh- continues to show this relative strength, I, I, I'm actually going to be a seller of the short side, probably through a put spread in the SMH. Um, so that's one I'm going to keep my eye on. And just to kind of go back and, and the Microsoft and the Alphabet, yeah, I'd be inclined to maybe take a shot on the long side of Alphabet if it got overdone down, like, say, 10% over the next week from those recent highs. Microsoft, I'd be a seller here. All right. Lastly, I just want to update something. QQQ, we went through a short dated trade in the Feb 2nd, okay, the Feb 2nd, um, 424 puts. They cost $4 the other day when we detailed them on Monday here. Here we are now. It's about 419 and a half or so. And those weekly 424 puts that cost four are now worth about five and a half. So we have the Fed meeting. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, and then we have, you know, Meta and we have Amazon and we have Apple earnings. That was also one of the reasons I might look to be tactical here and might look to take those off right here, take that short-term gain of about a dollar and a half and maybe look to roll them out to next week in something lower. So ro- rolling them out and down a little bit, giving myself a little more time and booking a little bit of that profit. So that's how I'm trading the QQQ into today, okay, into today's announcement that's going to come out in about a, a day and then all those are an hour and then all those earnings. Um, all right, let's talk Fed, Liz. Uh, you're heading down to the Mecca, to the NYSE. That's right. What is some of your work? What are you expecting here? We know that Fed Fund Futures is pricing a 0% probability. 7% actually. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. went up a little bit after, right. you know, something really? happened this morning. Um, well, 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 okay, so let, let's talk about what happened this morning. Because again, if you woke up, Guy, were you expecting to see the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield no. below 4%? I, I was not. So talk to us, Liz. Like, mm-hmm. what happened this morning? We have a couple charts here. So New York uh, uh, Community, Community Bank, Bank Corp, Corp. That's the 10-year chart right there. And it's approaching yeah. that uptrend that's been in places below the 200-day. Let's pull up the New York uh, the New York Community Bank Corp for a second. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know what it's down now. It was about down 36% earlier mm-hmm. today. So it turns out there are still problems in regional banks. Stop it. Talk. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Right. Real? No. Yeah, I know. I know. Shocks me to my very core. I don't know how we how we didn't see it coming. But so what? Ha- there's some explanations out there. Obviously, this is still developing. Apparently, uh, there are two big loans that yeah. the company in particular had mm-hmm. to mark down. From what I understand, one of them was a loan that they assumed from Signature Bank. Another loan was one that they had extended themselves. Um, I also believe that there was a ratio, a capital ratio, a requirement ratio that was about to change because they were going to surpass a certain threshold in deposits. I believe that threshold was $100 million. Um, and they weren't necessarily going to meet it. There were going to be more demands on their capital ratios. So they had to mark some things down in order to meet it. This all could change. That's all. That's really all that was available when I read about it today. That's neither here nor there. So far, it's being written off as just an idiosyncratic thing. It's no big deal. Sounds eerily reminiscent of when things were written off as idiosyncratic things at one particular company or another that, oh, it was just bad management of blah, blah, blah. 
that we know, we know that there were still issues out there. This one doesn't seem to be one of those likely culprits of, you know, there was this big commercial real estate exposure. This isn't uh, the similar exposure that we saw in March, but it is coming at a time when, as we know, we've got that bank term funding program that is going to expire in March. If that does in fact expire, then some of the backstops for these companies goes away. Mm -hmm. And we have to wonder, and I know this statement is overused, but when there's one roach in the wall, there's probably more roaches in the wall. So this problem is not over yet. Now, I will say the market is accustomed to, and the market is not wrong about this, the market is accustomed to that even if it does get worse, even if there are other roaches that come out of this, the Fed will save it, we will save it, because it'll force capital markets to stop functioning properly, and that's when they get the pass to come in and save it. So it is possible that something blows up again, and it goes on uneventfully because we backstop it and save it. But the main takeaway here is that it's not over. All right. So here's fascinating thing, and I'm just going to throw this out there sort of as a jump ball. In some ways, you want this to be systemic. And why do I say that? Because if it's systemic, ex- everything that Elizabeth just said is going to sort of take over. They're going to st- the Fed's going to stop, jump in, or Treasury or some amalgam of the two, and they're going to backstop the entire thing. If it's idiosyncratic to them, chances are that other banks have similar problems, but there's no overlap. In other words, it's not going to be systemic. One's not going to lead to the other. Each one of these banks potentially could have similar things on their balance sheet. So bad loans, absolutely. They're not the only one out there. So in a perverse way, this sounds nuts. You almost want it to sort of make its way through the entire system as opposed to just one by one by one, which I do think, Dan, we're on the precipice of seeing. No, it's interesting. You know, last year when SVB and Signature and a couple of those others went down, I think a lot of us who lived through the financial crisis in 08, we kind of remembered that Bear Stearns went under the first or second week of March. And, you know, folks thought it was kind of saved and it went into the arms of JP Morgan and it was contained. And then the stock market rallied and financials mm-hmm. even rallied. You know, Stearns, I, the, the stock had a remember that the stock had a huge move. Well, they re rated anyway. it up. They, they, yeah. they they redid the deal from two to 10, like, 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 so they didn't think it was nearly as bad was what, you know, so like, and and, and then, so we spent a lot of time last year and I think some of us with a little PTSD from that period thinking, all right, well, there's to your point about the cockroaches in the wall, you know what I mean? That sort of thing. A lot of us felt like there's going to be more issues. Right. And so when we think about last year, so then the story was like, well, commercial real estate and all the exposure that a lot of other regionals have, and there's going to be other issues. So I don't know, maybe it just got, you know, prolonged into guys point. Maybe we're going to start seeing other names that have never been on our radar, but you know, this is one thing that, you know, we had, uh, Vinny, um, Vinny Daniels and Porter Collins and Danny Moses. And we had the big short panel with Steve Eisman. So, um, that was yesterday. You know, those guys, they said it twice. They said it on our show guy last night. And they said it on the panel yesterday. It's like if all that happens that you just laid out, Liz, and guy just laid out, the Fed's going to save them. And that, that's what they did last March. And then we go back and it's the moral hazard again and again. So, again, I know. It, I, I mean, listen, I don't want a calamity after calamity after calamity. I just want things to get uh, the ship right. All right. Let's talk about. So 7% chance they're not going to do anything. But do you think this news today, Liz, gives them more likelihood to sound dovish as we start positioning for the March meeting? Does it, you know, like these are the sorts of reasons why the 
Fed might talk a bit more dovish, right? Yeah. It, well, so, and now the chance is down to 4%. It went from two to seven. Now it's down to 4% for today. They're not going to cut today. Yeah. But the probability for March went up. It was, I think it was at about 35% at some point mm-hmm. yesterday. Now it's up to 60%. That was up close to 70% earlier this morning. So it's volatile, right? These expectations are now volatile. I still think, I mean, again, remember what they said in March and they came out and said, we're confident in the soundness of the financial system. I don't remember the, there was something about with the word sound Mm -hmm. in it and they ended up bailing them out. Well, if it was so sound, we wouldn't have had to bail them out. Obviously, They didn't use the word contained guy. They didn't, they didn't say it was contained. You, listen, you're trying, you're, you really are trying, trying to upset I, me and it's not going to, you're not going to succeed. So. Either way, I, I don't think that we're going to get that much of a statement. This is very new news. I think he probably gets a question about it in the presser. I don't know that he addresses it directly. Yeah. Um, and even if there is a question about it in the presser, probably dismissed as idiosyncratic, not something that's going to affect monetary policy at this point, la, 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 blah, blah, because the market hasn't really cared, to be honest. I mean, yields are down, but you could point to a number of different factors for why yields might be down today. ADP was weak, right? Mm -hmm. ECI came in cooler. There's a lot of different reasons that you could point to. This is just one of in the handful. You know, it's if, if the, if the market geniuses are extracting that, you know, it's a couple shitty loans on this, you know, relatively mediocre bank requires a fed rate cut earlier than the market. I mean, that is just madness at the highest level. That's not what the federal reserve is in place to do. If, if banks do, you know, if they make bad loans, I mean, that's just the well, way they, it goes. Wait, hold on guy. They, they kind of are. No, 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 really? no, 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 no. If, if, if you're a bad bank, it's not the Federal Reserve's job to sort of come in and say, hey, you know, you made a mistake. Let's come in here. Now, on the deposit side, I get it. I understand what they did with Silicon Valley Bank. But, right. you know, there's got to be some corporate Darwinism here that's allowed to happen that clearly, for whatever reason, doesn't. By the way, we're starting the Q&A in a minute. Can I ask the first question? Is that possible? Well, hold on. We got, we got a couple other things. Oh, yeah, wait. Sorry. Well, so, I was, so I, I wanna, I'm going to push back just a little bit on the Fed thing because it, it's true it's not in their mandate. And if we give the straightforward definition of what they're supposed to do, it's not in there. It has nothing to do with full employment and inflation. However, they did start to issue that financial stability report, right? Mm-hmm. So what they would do, if, if there were another save, if there were an, another rescue package mm-hmm. of some sort, they would they would position it by saying it was threatening the financial stability of the system. It was, it was threatening financial stability in capital markets. Here are the things that stopped functioning properly, particularly the bond market. That's the thing that really freaks them out. If the bond market stops running Mm -hmm. the way that it should, or something like oil trades at negative $40 a barrel, right? That's not normal financial stability. So that's, that's the excuse that we'd get. Yeah. And and listen, going back to last March, I mean, they were still in their rate hiking mode because they were battling inflation. But when they thought the chance of these regional banks failing, they added a bunch of liquidity to the market. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the things we've talked about it again and again, like they have lots of tools in their toolbox, whether we agree with them or not, whether it's part of their dual mandate or not. I mean, time and time again, guy, they've just shown us that they're going to do that. I agree. And you know what that encourages? It can, encourages really bad behavior. I'm not saying nefarious behavior, but if I put on a position knowing that if it goes against me, I'm going to get stopped out by some, you know what, you're going to put all your effing chips in the middle of the table every single time because there's no ramifications. So if there were to be ramifications for making maybe loans that you shouldn't have made going too far out the risk curve, you should suffer the consequences. It's again, if this is system, if what's happening today is systemic to the system, then the system sucks. 
So yeah. I, this is a different conversation. I get it. And I'm, I'm getting myself a little exercised here, but you a understand little. what I'm saying. You're the man. Listen, guy, let's talk about this before we get to the Q and a, um, let's talk about that 10 year yield really quickly. Um, so we're, we're kind of right up against that uptrend. Okay. And, and again, if you thought the fed was going to start, um, embarking on a rate cutting cycle, um, ultimately you'll see that in the 10 year, the 10 year, you know, decline from those highs a couple of months ago, I think is reflective of the fact that the fed paused obviously. Right. And then therefore their battle with inflation, um, they think it's starting to work or at least market participants think, and you're going to see it obviously more in the two year, that's going to be more reflective of what, um, happens with the Fed funds. Let's flip it around. Let's look at the TLT, right? The iShares 20-year um, U.S. Treasury ETF. Carter last week on the Market Call program thought we were due for a bounce. Mm -hmm. You and I had articulated a bearish trade in the TLT when it was back above, I think it was like 101 guy. Maybe It was a December. Month it was the only week. It was the only day in the Christmas week that we did a show. I think it was December 28th, if memory serves. Okay. Yeah. Or 29th, we, but I'm close. Yeah. And we outlined a, a bearish trade in March, the 190 put spread. We took that off last week in conjunction with uh, what is about 93 or so in conjunction with Carter's technical call. Here we are, guy. We're above that 200 day. We bounced off that uptrend. So that's the inverse of the 10 year yield. They don't map exactly together, the 10 year yield versus this 20 year buy. So what are you thinking here, guy, as far as what yields um, should do? Let's just say, 0% probability, Liz, right? That was banging around between four and seven, but it's heightened now for March after that had come down substantially. Um, what do you think of the TLT here? Yeah, it's Carter. I mean, Carter had a great call on this, obviously, a week, week and a half or so ago. So we nailed it once again. And, you know, did I think yields are going to three? Nine? No, I did not. I think to Liz's point, I think some of the news this morning obviously sort of sped that move up, but maybe it was preordained that we get here at some point. Uh, what do I think about yields? Well, clearly, I think 10-year yields going lower reflects a concern that things are slowing down in a pretty meaningful way. It also reflects, to a certain degree, you know, a flight to quality in the face of some other concerns, non-market related. So I think that's part of it as well. Here's your uptrend line. In terms of yields, do we get all the way back down to sort of 380-ish or so and sort of make the final point of what's been a pretty steep uptrend? We'll see. But my question to Elizabeth is going to be, I mean, just as we thought we were flattening that yield curve, we're once again reinverting. Mm -hmm. And I got to be honest with you, at this point, as we are basically on the dawn of February, I'm not quite certain what it means. And, you know, with that said, I don't think the bond market knows either at this point, Liz. Yeah, I, I don't either. I mean, this is this is the longest inversion that I've seen. And the idea that we're going to get out of it unscathed, I know I've said this a million times, just the idea that that's going to happen and we're going to be able to pop back above zero at some point and everything's going to go differently than it ever has in the past. I can't get on board with that. Now, I don't know how it's going to happen. I feel like we're getting pretty close to it coming out of that inversion territory, but it continues to stick in this area. And, you know, it, it hasn't gotten nearly as deep as it used to be, but we, we are back down to what 30 ish basis points or so, or at least earlier today, we were about 30 basis points still inverted. So, you know, I don't know what's going to bring it out aside from maybe a suddenly more dovish fed on the heels of something bad that happens, right? That would have so, to be something. So that it's happens. funny that, that, that this is, happening today, this weakness in yields. And you could have said maybe we would have had that as, uh, in, you know, traders are kind of positioning in front of maybe a, a couple answers that might be more dovish that might hint to uh, a rate hike, uh, raising the pro or rate cut, excuse me, raising the probability of a cut in March, that sort of thing. But 
isn't this exactly the thing, guy? You know, on Fast Money, every guest. I think we had, you know, we had Drew McKnight, the co-CEO of Fortress, and we had Armin, the, the co-CEO of Oak Tree last night. And we we're asking them, you know, one was in the higher for longer camp, but what is the conditions in which rates would go uh, down further than markets mm-hmm. are? You know, those are the unforeseen things that we just don't know. And think about this. Let's just say this New York community bank bubbled into something to the size of a Silicon Valley or whatever. Now that the Fed is done hiking, now that inflation has come down, now that economic data has cooled, might they get aggressive if they thought there was going to be a run on regional banks? Again, I'm guy, I'm, and I'm just throwing that out there because yeah, like they you know, could. Right. I, yeah. You know, I, I mean, you know, Liz has, Liz has said for a while, I mean, you know, something will, you know, something breaking will will create the Fed cutting rates and be careful what you wish for, because if something's breaking, that could be deleterious to the broader market. So to your point, yeah, maybe this is the beginning of something. Yeah. W- without question, it's, you know, it's at this point, it's really I, I'll say this, though, and I believe this with all if they do embark on a rate cut cycle earlier than the market anticipates, which is hard to do at this point. I think you're going to see a reacceleration of the commodity trade. I think you're going to see the dollar come off considerably. And I think the inflation that they think they have tamed is going to start to reaccelerate. And by the way, around the edges on certain things, that's what you've been seeing. So you know, a lot of the numbers come out, mask what's really going on. The unemployment number, by the way, being maybe one of the main things that's really, I think, masking some of the underlying potential weakness in the labor market over the last few months. So we'll see. I mean, that's why this whole thing is so effing confusing for everybody. Well, we've we've heard some big layoff announcements just in the last week, right? And thousands, thousands of jobs at big names. And Guy, you and I have talked about this a couple of times. All it really takes is a company, a big company that's a sentiment indicator company. And I'm not talking about the Magnificent Seven. I'm talking about like a big industrials company, Mm -hmm. something that represents the U.S. economy in tangible form, right? Not technology form. All it takes sometimes is just one of those big companies to come out with a layoff announcement. The other ones follow suit because then the door is open and they're allowed to do it and they don't look like the first ones. And then you've got five announcements in a row. I mean, we had, what do we have this week? We had UPS, PayPal, PayPal, 2,500 jobs. Salesforce was last week, Mm -hmm. right? Something like that. So, and and so far, I mean, UPS was a big one, but I'm talking like you want 3M, Ford, like somebody like that, Caterpillar, Deer, somebody big industrial, and then it starts to pick up steam. We haven't seen that yet. And maybe we don't. You usually see this stuff come in waves. It happens in the beginning of the year. Sometimes it lasts through the first half of the year, but then they slow down. You don't usually hear a ton of layoff announcements in the second and third quarter of the year. If they keep Keep rolling, that's where you got to start scratching your head. Or if they start to happen in industry groups where we haven't heard about them before. Put this date on your calendar, February 13th, day before Valentine's Day. I, you know, I don't know anything, but I'm telling you, I think you're going to hear a huge round of layoffs in pretty significant financial services industry uh, banks. So we'll see. Just keep an eye on that. But everything Liz says is spot on. You know, the UPS, it's it's interesting. And I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but it comes in sort of the wake of six months earlier. Think about all the pay increases you saw at UPS when they basically, you know, they had that strike. They they basically all agreed on these huge pay raises for these drivers only then six months later to have layoffs, I think, now to the tune of 12,000. So there's so many ramifications for all these things. It's fascinating. And UPS problems 
are typically UPS specific. Here's a Q&A. This is a great question, Dan. I think you'll enjoy this. And I'm going to read, so I apologize. It has to do with, bear with me. Does And this is from Brian Harris. Does the XLP relative to the SPY in the last five days indicating an incoming shift to risk off? That's a great question. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the XLP is a consumer staple sector ETF. If you look at a long-term chart, Brian, and I appreciate this question, I think, again, like many things, this made its all-time high, not in late 2021, but early 2022, only then to make a series of sort of lower highs. You have a little bit of a double bottom. But, Dan, this one is not trading. It's bounced, but mm-hmm. it's nowhere near the prior all-time high. Yeah, and I guess, listen, you know, what do you own staples for, right? We know that that a lot of them, you know, benefited from the inflationary environment, right? And so they were able to take on price there. Um, as that sort of moderated, you know, these companies got some costs in line also, right? And and so, you know, when, when yields went to 5%, that's when you saw the chart fall out of the bottom right, right? Last, last uh, fall or so. So we recovered to those levels. Um, you know, listen, those Proctor results, Guy, were not bad. We know that's a large component um, of the XLP. Liz, your take, though, just specific to this question, mm-hmm. does a push back into these by investors signal some sort of defensive posturing because they're worried about the economy or worried about like higher price multiple stocks and what they could do in, in that environment? Um, I don't think it does yet. I don't think that there's a lot, enough fear in the market to explain it that way. I think that the probably more likely explanation, at least in the first quarter, if there is a surge in staples and things like utilities, is dividend payments. If yields are coming down, the expectation that the Fed is going to cut rates, eventually money market funds won't be quite as attractive. And that's a rational move for an investor. If you're going to take money out of a high yield investment because that yield is no longer as attractive, you're going to put it into something that also has an attractive yield. And if you're not scared of the market yet, you you also want capital appreciation potential. So some of these particularly dividend paying type sectors probably benefit from that. I don't think that this is a fear-based move yet. We got another question before we Audi 5000. This is from Story, who's with us every day, by the way. Can, can you guys give us your opinion on FXI, given the rumors that they are seeing influence in the China market? So I'll take a take a stab at this. If you look at the FXI, we've put this chart up a number of times, but I'll go back to all the way to 2008 when the FXI, I think, made a low of like 21 and change, obviously bounced from there. Then in October of 2022, we saw a low of about the same thing, 21 and a half or so, if Jacob can throw up a chart. And now here we are, I think 2183. We have bounced. I mean, I will tell you, this is my opinion. I still believe the risk reward here is about as good as it's been in quite some time. And why do I say that? Yes, could it break down to the downside? Absolutely. But at least you know what you're risking on the downside. And I think you can trade against these now three lows, which come in the form of like, I don't know, 20 and three quarters, 21 or thereabouts. So if you're looking for a trade that I think sets up well, I think it's a form of the FXI, given some of the news we've heard. So I understand it's risky, but when things typically have looked the worst in terms of these China trades, that's typically the best time to close your eyes and take a shot. Yeah, I, I mean, I just say this, and I think I said it the other day. I mean, just look at that 2022 low. It was from late October. It's like 2080 or something like that. If, if you're into Chinese stocks and you know what they are, it's Alibaba, it's Tencent. It's like, you know, a bunch of the, and it's not just the internet names, but it's a bunch of the the big banks and, and a few industrials. And that's the way to play it. Just stop it there. It's not like the idea of playing with an ETF is like, you know, 
the idea you, you won't have like, you know, when we talk about these stocks down 10, 15%, we're just talking about New York community bank corp or something like that down 35%. ETFs don't do that, right? You don't have that idiosyncratic risk. So if you want to express a view bullish in China, you want to be contrarian because it doesn't act well, people, um, then stop it at those lows, right? And and you'll have an opportunity to get out, but just, you know, do it with risk management. Is that well, something you subscribe to there? Yeah, I, I would also say, look, as a domestic investor, we've talked about it a lot on this show. If you believe in stimulus and easing as a tailwind for stocks, we know China has the appetite, the willingness, and the desire to stimulate if they need to. They've already talked about it. They've already announced some stimulus. So if they start to really get on that train, it ends up being a tailwind as well. Um, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago on this show, I believe, or maybe it was the pod. I don't know. I get them confused. Yeah, I, gotta, I can't lie. But bottoming is a process, right? So just because it went down doesn't mean that it's over. It may kind of chug along in that same range. And that can be really frustrating and it's hard to time that. Um, but just keep that in mind. Desire, great song by you too. Elizabeth mentioned that. Uh, train, 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 a great song by Blackfoot. I encourage folks to go to Tower Records this weekend, pick that up. Great harmonic and one of the best ones in rock history. And of course, you ended it by saying Bottoms, of course, Fat Bottom Girl by Queen. I saw that tour. And I will tell you at the beginning of the concert, there were a number of scantily clad ladies that came out on bicycles at Madison Square Garden. And at the tender age of 17 or 18 at the time, I found that very uh, interesting in a word. <laughs> but we got to get out of here because EY's got to go with some of the SDs on the HT or something like that. I don't know. Um, and that's it. This has been fun. Though. I'm stuff. glad we're back. I enjoyed the last couple of days. It was great that Elizabeth was able to make it down. That was a huge get for us, as they say. So thank you, EY. Thank you to the audience. Tomorrow is what? Is tomorrow Thursday? I'm really Thursday. Feb one, guy. Feb one. I know it. I know it's Feb one, but tomorrow we'll be back. I think the great Carter Braxton Worth. And if it's Thursday, Dan, it's butters. Bitch. Yes, it is. We'll see you guys later. See you tomorrow. Bye. (laughs) 